So how's that jet lag? Uh, that jet lag is uh, actually not that bad. <laughs> not bad? I mean, it would be killing me, I'm sure. Well, okay, so I'm probably sure under normal circumstances, but since I am constantly sort of either overworking myself or like kind of on my client's hours that it didn't seem that bad. I was going to say like, you, you don't tend to sleep a lot anyway. So yeah. <laughs> now I will give you a little, however, however, from once we flew in and got to our final destination of where the project site and everything else was, which is just, just generally on the other side of the planet. Just generally. I, I mean, I can at least say what country it's in, but right. I can't right. get too deep into the NDA covered everything else. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we were in Saudi Arabia and to get to the Western side of Saudi Arabia, it's kind of a, a route that you have to go to now, especially during the COVID periods. We flew from DC to Frankfurt to Riyadh to the Western side of Saudi Arabia. Then to come back with all of the process of everything else from flying from where we were to Riyadh, from Riyadh to PCR COVID test, which, you know, you needed to wait till you got your results back before you could fly. So we built in a buffer on that one. So we got in late at night, checked into a hotel, found out, funny enough, that they misunderstood when our initial flight was going to get there. So the people who made our booking arrangements for our hotel made them for the following day. So we like, we we're all standing there completely covered in dust because we had been in the field for four days in the Sahara Desert and doing a lot of photographing and in Indiana Jonesing. That's what you say. Indiana yeah. Jonesing. And we're tired, dusty, testy, you know, everything because it's a lot of like rush and it's hot. You're cranky and lots of hangry. Mm hmm. And so we're standing there and he's like, uh, you guys aren't supposed to be checking in until tomorrow. <laughs> we all look at each other like, what? Surprise. So I'm like looking around at like, you know, a practically empty parking lot, practically empty hotel. And I'm like, <laughs> so do you have room? Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> and that was it. I was just like, so do you have any rooms available? And he's like, oh, I can just check you into your, the rooms you already have booked early. Like, yeah, yeah. Why don't we do that? I'm a problem solver. Yeah. <laughs> then we asked them, you know, hey, can we get a late checkout? You know, because we are checking in technically the day that we were supposed to be checking in, but just really, really early. And they're like, oh, no, we can't give you a, a late checkout. Like, what do you mean? And then so we like negotiated. We got a little bit later checkout, but not by much because they still had just, to have. You just hang out in the lobby. You drink the drink and the lemon water. So we did for an extremely <laughs> long time. <laughs> you like set up an office out there in the lobby. We and, did. We did. Yeah. We totally yeah. did. There was this one kind of you like. You just look at them like, hey, this is your fault, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, we could have had more rooms if we wanted to pay an extra day, but we didn't because yeah. it didn't make much sense. Right. So then we arranged the PCR testing, like, oh, just give us the names of who you need tested, and um, they'll come to you. Like, sweet. <laughs> like, this is awesome. After being out and gallivanting around, you just yeah. wanted to hang out. Yeah. Yeah. 
like midday they come to us and we're flying out at one o'clock the next morning mm-hmm. um so obviously everything's just got to be done before all of that and of course we're sort of sweating bullets just just kind of make sure that everything's squared away and we're not like having to wait or what happens if somebody comes back like as a false positive or even a positive run the scenario machine <laughs> so i had to take three pcr tests which are you know kind of like the tests that you need to need to fly specifically fly internationally and i took three prior to leaving because the first one i took was fine was negative then we changed our flight to go two days later the test is only good up to 72 hours and so it would have expired by the time we flew so i had to get another one so i went to the same place didn't do anything between the time i took the test and the time i thought i was going to fly then the only other time that i did anything i took my daughter to soccer practice i sat in the car then she came back and then the next day i took a pcr test I come back with a positive, like, what the hell? And then everybody's just like, oh, you need to take one again because, you know, these PCR tests aren't very accurate. I'm like, well, then why the hell are we using them? Yeah. Especially for international travel if they're not accurate. And so then I go take the inventor. The inventor of the test specifically said you cannot use it for this kind of thing. Yeah. Which is funny because they're using it for that. And because I had to request rush jobs, they were, you know, pretty pricey. Oh, it's a racket, man. It's yeah. a total racket. <laughs> so so I'll just say up loud that I spent $625 on uh, COVID tests. Yeah. You know, just just to fly. Uh, you're welcome. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you'll take this and you'll like it. Exactly. So then we get there. Fast forward back to, you know, trying to get out of country. And they come back negative. So then we fly to Germany. And we're waiting in Frankfurt. We've got a... Seven and a half hour layover there, wow. and then seven hour flight from Riyadh to Frankfurt. Then seven, I think it was seven seven and a half hour. It might have even been longer. I don't know. Time became like amoebic. Yeah, doesn't matter. And then it, you know, was another almost almost nine hour flight back to Dulles. So then we didn't realize this as we were doing all of this, but one guy was actually. Like once we got to the airport at our very original destination, he actually started his uh, stopwatch and stopped it when he got home. Take a while, guess how long it took us to get from our original point of destination to home. Hmm. Uh, I don't remember how long you were there, but I'm going to say 126 hours. Uh, you've doubled it, but it took, oh, us, wow. it took us 58 hours to get from where we were to home. Oh, okay. No, I was thinking like when you got there, when you got to your original destination. So you were there for like, I don't know, four or five days or something, right? So yeah, we were there. We were in the project site for five days. So I was at, I guess I I was still, even if that were the case, then I was still, I would be way under, but you're saying from. No, just travel time. Whoa. (laughs) That's brutal, man. 58 hours. I've flown to, you know, to the Eastern coast of Australia, which was a not a straightforward thing. Uh, we we had to go from LAX to New Zealand to Melbourne to Sydney because Melbourne is where they did customs. Uh, okay. And 
it was, I think, 24 hours roughly door to door. So I can't even imagine more than doubling <laughs> that because uh, that that sucked. It because you you get off a plane in New Zealand in the middle of the night, you can't go anywhere. Exactly. And yeah. There's nothing to see, and and you are just literally a prisoner of travel Ex- and, and of airports. And, and that is totally what we were. Of which the the standard customer experience is very poor, almost a hundred percent of the time. You know, air air travel is is brutal, and mm-hmm. it's just like you don't have any other options, and they know it. You know, <laughs> so exactly. the airport experience is so bad, right? And thanks thanks mostly to the TSA here in the U.S. But I would say overall, no one's really trying to make it an enjoyable experience. Well, I will say, from what I experience of the three major airports that I well, actually, even four. So went from the Dulles International Airport to Frankfurt International Airport to Riyadh International Airport to a local Saudi Arabian airport. Mm-hmm. Guess which one was the worst of the three? Dulles. America. America. <laughs> like Frankfurt, you know, was this reasonably nice shopping mall that planes have happened to fly from. They kind of treat it like a bit of a destination. Right? Yeah, yeah. And in Dulles is brutal. I, w- I mean, I've been there. That's the most recent. You, you were, you were just here. Yeah. <laughs> and and Riyadh was uh, was very much the same. I mean, this you know beautiful like shopping experience that just happens to have planes leave it. <laughs> These are the new malls of of the world. <laughs> Duty free. Duty free. I mean, I will say this that. We were pampered a little bit because they they were since they were such long flights. It's our company policy that anything over six hour flight, we're allowed to fly business class. Mm-hmm. And now I'm thinking to myself, how the hell am I ever going to go back to coach? To <laughs> I can't unsee this. Yeah, and I, I was like, <laughs> these seats fold out flat to beds. Yeah. And I have my own little personal TV screen, and then they give you like a little goodie bag, and then did you get the the hot uh, oh my face gosh. towel, the hot face towel, the hot meal that comes in real glass plates and silverware and all of that other stuff? I was like, I took pictures of one meal that I had, and I sent it to my wife because I needed to use uh, um, on onboard Wi Fi, so I was using the the Wi Fi, and my gosh, the uh, production that united puts on for their business class people is like second to none i was like hmm. i don't know what to do like I've never i've never flown business class but i have had the pleasure of a hot uh, washcloth flying Qantas. i was like amazed you know it's like you can take your shoes off stow them they give you nice slippers and stuff put on your flip-flops <laughs> no they put on <laughs> nice slow coat. i know i know you love that Th- thankfully they're close-toed slippers and stuff <laughs> it was just amazing so give us a, a a taste of what the environment was like there because you you took pictures you posted some beautiful pictures i mean and it's hard to get a sense of you know obviously what it's actually like to be in the environment rather than just look on it so so what what is it truly like and i know you spent time over there during during your time with the military too right so where i was at in the military pretty much everything was just flat sand an airport nearby where they were flying military sorties out of and off in the distance was a town it wasn't a, a military object for like attacks or anything. We were the air defense system for both the 
the airbase where they were flying all of the sorties out of that was bombing Iraq at the time. And also we were there for missile defense for any scuds that were launched from Iraq flying over Jordan into Israeli airspace. And so we were engaging things in that manner as well. You know, a, no- a normal day at the office, you know, just <laughs> the huge, the huge, um, but it was flat. Like you could see for miles and miles. I mean, as long as it was clear, no dust storms, then you could literally see for, you know, what felt like tens of miles, you know, probably a little hyperbole, but it just felt like you could see forever. Where we were at was actually just south of that, but it was kind of in this more mountainous area. Um, basically, it was Wadi Alfan, and Wadi Alfan is a old dry riverbed, kind of like this cradle of early civilization, the Nabataean Empire. You know, if you we'll we'll put links to my my Instagram page. You know, so now. If you can picture, and for anybody who who's possibly been there, but if anybody can picture, like, say, Arches or Canyonlands National Park in Utah or northern Arizona, but picture it void of any water, but very canyon-esque, mountain-esque. I mean, I'll put some pictures in there with the land cruiser that we rented um, and we drove out through there and <laughs> I'm not quite sure they knew that that was what they were renting to is like a bunch of people who were going to be doing desert hopping but you know because in some we... $90,000 land cruisers <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's what they're made for actually oh my gosh they they performed brilliantly I mean we didn't try to like climb these big I would easily say like two to 250 possibly 300 foot tall sand dunes Mm-hmm. You didn't try to climb any of that. Yeah, you don't have to like air down the tires and, and not have a way to pump them back up. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! 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 Let me. Does exp- it have built-in oh, uh, tire yes, pressure? It does. So <laughs> nice. it actually tells you this. There's a pump in the back that has a long hose that reaches you know all the way around to the front tires and stuff, and it mm-hmm. and it'll tell you if you're going sand crawling or whatever what you need to set your tire pressure to, <laughs> and then also you can reverse the pump and it can pump it up. And it was, it's just brilliant. I mean, this thing was perfect. And uh, the only thing I was a little dismayed is it didn't have seat warmers. Because <laughs> it was cold. Look, I mean, <laughs> I understand that it was 110 degrees out there. And whoever says, but it's a dry heat, shut up. <laughs> dry heat, my not dry butt. <laughs> Uh, okay (laughs) (laughs) i mean it was just uh i know i'm going to be jumping around a lot but let me set the stage we get there and we want to beat the heat obviously so we are up and out the door and in the desert at 6 a.m and we're go 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 and then we've got meetings and all of that other stuff kind of like midday we we try to basically go from 6 a.m to about noon and then that's when the sun is really just like melting pretty much every part of your body mm-hmm. so then we go and we have um i say we have lunch but we never actually had lunch because <laughs> we were just like so busy and then we would have some meetings and then go back out there you know because what we're trying to do is we're trying to capture because the, the project that we're working on, it's a big event, both some permanent installations as well as some temporary ones for a couple of different things that are 
part of this whole new push towards tourism and drawing people into uh, Saudi Arabia. And so, you know, we wanted to try to get like the grasp of everything. And so we were out there all the way till like middle of the night. Sun weirdly went down around 630, 645-ish. And then we would go probably at like nine o'clock, we would go and eat. And then we would stumble back into our hotel at about 1130, 12. All the while to just say, all right, we'll meet you back down here so that we can get out there by by six. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, we were staying in this really cool kind of like hotel. They call it a resort, but that's really pushing the word. Mm -hmm. Really. I mean, they can call it a resort all they want to, but. It's not the same thing <laughs> at all. I'm not going to put that on their Yelp review. I'm just saying that it ain't a resort. It's like the Red Roof Inn with just comfortable beds. <laughs> but 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 all you it's kind of like when when I travel, I'm on a road trip, like all I need is a place to sleep because I'm not going to spend any time there. Pretty much, yeah. So we really were just like nonstop the whole time. First day, we actually had another guy driving the truck I was in. And then he got stuck in the sand and he was just like, okay, Cormac, can you uh, probably get it out? I'm like, yeah, I could, you know, not a problem. And so, you know, cause he was the one who rented him. So he wanted to drive just cause if something happened to it, you know, it's kind of his responsibility. Sure. But the second that he got stuck and everybody razzed him and then I uh, showed my ability to drive through the sand, he was like, all right, you're the driver now. Which was oh, you got appointed, dude. Which is perfectly <laughs> fine because I, it was a blast. I mean, like we're barreling through these sand dunes and through. You know, we we're going from hard pack to like really deep sand and small dunes and things like that. I was like, come on, man! Over the course of like this whole quarantine and stuff, I haven't been able to like get out and have fun like this. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't a punishment. Now I was like, dude, bring it. I'll have fun. Yeah. But so. Where I was going with all of that after it took a very long time to get there is is that the pictures that I'll post both in the show notes and also the link to my Instagram, you'll see that on occasion, I purposely got the Land Cruisers in the shot for scale to show how mammoth this place is, how overwhelming this place is. And we were in an area that was 32 square miles wide and it was just it was really hard to like capture all of this stuff i mean we're working with you know other people who are going to be doing these permanent installations and things like that and we're trying to like integrate like routes to it you know so we're just like doing all of these these amazing little interventions and stuff and we're just like plotting some of this stuff out and it's just like oh from here to there. And, you know, like we would see off in the distance where, you know, we'd like to put the next one and they're like, okay, well, let me zero out the trip miler, trip mileage. And then let's go there. And then we like drive there and it's like, you know, two and a half kilometers apart. And we're like, eh, maybe that's a little too far for them to walk in the desert. <laughs> we're just like, maybe we should go find, you know, a couple of other points and stuff. And it's just like, I can't wait till I get to be able to talk about this and share it with everybody about like, you know, the, this it's it's an exciting project it's one of those projects that you literally are given in school as like you know oh here let's just make up this like you know fantasy project and you're like okay and you make up this fantasy project and you know you never really expect that it's ever going to be a real project that you would ever do in your life and it is and everybody on this project was just like 
pinch me to let me know that I'm not dreaming when we talk about this project. It's like, is this real? Is, is, you know, are we really doing this project? Because this is an amazing project and the people that we are going to work with are amazing people that we get to work with. And wait, architecture, fun, exciting. Ah, dude. I mean, yeah, it's tear inducing. Waited your whole life for this. Yes, totally, (laughs) totally. But the whole time, you know, here we're spending all of this time in an area of Saudi Arabia that is rarely ever visited by Westerners. And now there's like an influx of them, you know, working on this big effort. And you're able to like, I'm probably going to mess up the pronunciation of this. So there's like the Dedonic period of civilization in this area, which is like between seven and 10,000 years um, BCE. And so you have that culture and catch this name. The actual people of this culture were called dead knights. Oh, wow. Come on, man. That's (laughs) awesome. And so like, you know, you're, you're driving through these areas where you see like these carved spaces within the rocks, which were burial or temple areas and things like that. And then it kind of evolved into the, I'm going to, again, butcher some of these names like Nebatean. Um, You can look on my Instagram and I'll put it in the show notes as well of like some of these like things that you don't really have to read in advance to to understand what I'm talking about. Just look at the pictures because they are pretty amazing stuff. So this area has been constantly occupied for over 10,000 years. Hmm. And it's so hard for a Western person to wrap our minds around it when we come from a country that's not even 300 years old. And yes, there are, there were like civilizations that were here before us, but you know, we didn't do the best job of like keeping that evidence around when we went to Hegra and, and, you know, I shared some photographs with you and again, we'll share them on the show notes, but we went to Hegra and Hegra's one of the, the cities that Petra, everybody's heard of Petra, these amazing like Roman carved areas within the, the mountainsides, which funny enough, all of the stuff that was carved into the mountainsides were tombs. Mm-hmm. Petra, tombs. Hegra, tombs. They all look very similar. They honor the dead. But the scale of these things, amazing. Like, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're talking about 15-story tall, carved out of the face of rocky sandstone cliffs and stuff. Just amazing. And so, you know, again, a couple of uh, photographs for, you know, for scale. I'll show. And then they got like a little teeny door. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. a little teeny door to go in. When yeah. you go in there, it's just like these. And we went into one and it's just like these carved out areas of little burial plots within the mountain for like families, you know, and it was just obviously it was for the one percenters. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. They honor some of the dead. Yeah. <laughs> some who can afford it. And and it was right. interesting, too, because they've got archaeological proof of these spaces that were basically the local government would sell them burial plots. So, like, this section of the mountain is yours. Yeah. Adorn it however you want to. You've got your basic design standards that you need to go off of. But then you can kind of like decorate it. And for some weird reason, Medusa, both a male Medusa and a female Medusa, had adorned the frieze of all of these different things. Because it was basically to kind of like scare away people from coming and disturbing this. Apparently, one guy had 
misunderstood the lore behind adorning the frieze with Medusa and put a male Medusa, which was actually a curse. <laughs> and he cursed his own. Uh, it's like, oops, buddy, you missed that one. No undo button on that guy. Exactly. No. Carving it out of stone. It's carved in stone. It's stuck, man. And it was just like the sheer size of this place, the open vastness of this. You know, you, you're in there and you're looking at it. And it's just like, this is a big area. Yes. But how big can it be? And then you, you like traverse from side to side, you know, and it's like several kilometers wide and you're like, oh, it's a lot bigger than I thought. I, I can't even fathom how many miles we put on our feet walking around because basically we'd park and we would just start walking a couple of times we like walked away from the truck and doors wide open yeah it doesn't matter (laughs) key sitting there no one's out there no one's out there although when we got a little bit closer to the civilization there was like some camel herding going on and some goat herding going on and like they really cared we hopped out of the car and we came back one time and there was like camels near the trucks and stuff and they didn't care this episode of the Arcuspeak podcast is supported by Twinmotion. Let's talk ArcViz technology. Powered by the near-limitless Unreal Engine, our friends at Twinmotion offer a fast and easy way to produce stunning real-time visualizations and immersive experiences for your clients. Twinmotion gives you the tools you need to make faster decisions and relay information to your clients in a way that instantly speaks to them. Breathe life into your scene by changing the season, the weather, the time of day, just by moving a slider, immersing your client in a way that they'll love and, more importantly, be able to truly picture themselves in. Seriously, it's that easy. You, you have to try it to believe it. So why not share your design with stakeholders and collaborative reviews and edit your scene together? I'm a huge fan of this. There's no better way to get buy-in than by making your clients feel part of the development process. Right now, they're running an exclusive free trial for listeners of this show, which you can head to twinmotion.link slash arcaspeak to get your hands on. That's twinmotion.link slash arcaspeak. It reminds me of growing up as a kid and visiting my grandfather, who was a geologist in Death Valley, and you know, going out in our land cruiser back then. And uh, same thing. You never take the key out of the ignition. You don't worry about shutting the doors. You never lock the vehicle. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's awesome. I mean, that's a, it, it is kind of a liberating feeling to be able to do that because you're, you are pretty alone out there. Oh yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. In the darkness, the darkness, the real darkness. Amazing. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. You posted a picture of a, of a night sh- of a sky shot, right? Astrophotography. Yeah. 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 I mean, I wish I had a tracker to do a little bit deeper exposure, but the few times that we got out there, it was so funny. It's like we got to the point where maybe we were just a little like heat stroking a little or something because anytime anybody would say anything, like here we are in the middle of nowhere, literally the middle of nowhere, quiet as you could possibly imagine. And then we like, so we found some caves earlier in the day. And so like ha- half the group found this cave and we we're like, oh, we got to show these people because you like crawl through a cave. Then there's like the cave roof had collapsed and stuff. And so it just opens up. And so it's this beautiful, like perfect bowl that kind of like blocks out any light because there were some towns 10, 15 kilometers away that you could still, because everything was so dark and flat, you could still kind of perceive some of the light. There's the, the modern city 
And then there was like this ancient city, like right next to each other. And obviously you weren't getting the light from the ancient city, but you were from the modern city. And it was so interesting. So you've been to like Chaco Canyon or Canyon Mm -hmm. Duche, and you Mm -hmm. you know, these like the ancient city that was there. Now picture the ancient city. And then they just extended on a new city, a modern city that had like Burger King and a Dunkin' Donuts that they literally had a Burger King and Dunkin' Donuts there. Basically, you could drive through the ancient city that still is semi-occupied. Some of them are ruins. Some of them are occupied. And then you just keep on going and you've run right into a modern city. And so this is the thing is like this place being constantly occupied for 10,000 years. All they basically did is just evolve from like the, the previous society and just extended. They used to live here. That's obviously not habitable anymore. So we'll build right next to it. And then, you know, those become the ancient cities and then they'll build right next to it to like strip malls and Burger Kings and stuff like that. And, you know, when that stuff goes away, you know, they'll, that'll be the ancient city and they'll just like continue on with it. And it was mm-hmm. just amazing to fathom all of that stuff. We also got into this deep conversation about how civilizations evolved because, you know, you have these areas like Egyptian areas and even areas within these little early cradles of civilization where you see like these ancient cities that we were looking at, we were walking through, they were very similar to Chaco Canyon, similar construction methods. You know, they used Adobe to build walls and like in, in this particular area, palm fronds and stuff to build roofs over it and things like that. But then you see that same kind of construction that popped up in Incan and Mayan cultures. And then you see that popping up in the American Southwest with Chaco Canyon and Canyon Duche and other canyons like that. And you just see all of these different societies that had no real connection with one another. But they were basically building the exact same way. Or, or did they? Or similar ways. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because you see the construction methodology is, is based on what's on hand, right? So you right. go to Chaco Canyon and it's all stacked rock because there was right. no water to, to make adobe. Right. And you go to another location where there is water and they can make adobe. So it, but similar, you know, gravity style building, but so elegantly done, so much yeah, craftsmanship. Yeah. And uh, it's, it is beautiful. Like you, you talked about the tombs and, and just how much effort and how much they do revere the what they're doing and it matters so much and it and it's built to last but it, there's so much attention to detail and and craft when they do it i was jokingly saying to them i'm like i would have loved to have seen their spec book <laughs> it was drawn with a stick in the sand yeah <laughs> because whatever they were uh, selecting as their materials was apparently lasted a lot longer than our typical like 5 to 30 year warranty oh, lifespan gosh. Yeah. Uh, so it's extraordinarily humbling to see some of these ancient dwellings still existing, still even occupied. Just humbling to see them as an architect, as somebody who designs dwellings and buildings and things like that for whatever type of use that we can come up with. And to see them 10,000 years ago and sure they weren't as like you know beautifully elegant with all of this glass and everything else but it suited the times it suited their methods and it suited the construction methods that they had at the time in the climate and the climate for sure i mean because you still don't build a lot i mean we surveyed a couple of like more modern buildings 
that we're going to potentially use as part of what we're doing. And they arranged him. Obviously, a Westerner might have designed this one because there were some Western kind of design sensibilities, but it did some of it didn't make sense for the climate. There was like Western or south-facing open-air picture, like a school in California where you guys... Basically, it's like single-loaded corridors connected by an exterior corridor and things like that. And it was very similar to that. But the site becomes somewhat unusable for a portion of the day because it's just too hot. It's exposed to the sun. And whether or not they grow up there, they don't go out during the certain times of day. You know, right. they, they stay inside because they know it's hot just as much as the next yeah. person. So you can kind of see that, like, the way that it was designed was not appropriate for the site. And so, you know, we were sitting there talking about like, you know, how, okay, how do you improve this? Here's some good bones. You don't really want to demo the thing, but you know, how do you, how do we improve this? Or do we just suggest to them just demo this and and start over, but let's do it appropriately looking at doing solar studies and heat gain studies and things like that, because these are all obviously of great concern. Yeah. And then the influence of like, you know, Western architectural cultures in their effect on regional architecture. And it was just kind of interesting to see. And I don't think that I took a photograph of this, but interesting to see the 7-Eleven gas station equivalent hmm. and how it still had all of the amenities of like a truck stop with a convenience store and bathrooms and all of this other stuff, but in a completely Saudi approach to it. It was really interesting to see those kind of like approaches to like Western style architecture. I worked on a project. It was a, it was a K-12 school that was going to be in Cairo and kind of a new development going on in Cairo. And it was the school to support this new housing development. And pretty much the brief was make it look like Santa Barbara or Orange County. (laughs) And it was, it was very much like guided by that terrible vision (laughs) yeah we've been in the region for well over 14 15 years now and we've done things where they've been very kind of like respectful and kind of like a a modern vision of ancient ways or appropriate cultural ways of building things versus some very you know we just want nyu abu dhabi and nyu and the people who were you know starting that school wanted it to feel like you were potentially going to NYU or a couple of other large East coast American schools have started satellite schools in the middle East. And so they wanted it to be like a Western experience in the architecture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, lots of glass and lots of this, and you just, you wonder about like, forget, does it make sense culturally? This is like, does this make sense? <laughs> yeah. Climate perform. Yeah building performance. And so I'm sitting there talking to him and I was like, well, you know, look at the way that they like basically blacked out all of these windows to try to radiate, you know, some of that um, heat. And so you're not getting like a lot of like solar heat because there's like single pane windows with metal framed, kind of like a hopes window type thing. And it was, and you're just like, I can't see, you know, it's like, you got to do something different here. A little bit of thermal bridging there. And, and so I'm like, you know, it's like, you've got to do like, at minimum, you've got to do like a, a triple pane, full thermal broken frame for it to even remotely perform. It's like, yeah, you'd, you'd love to get some of the light in, 
because you know, we're talking about the type of like program that's going in here, you do want some, you know, a lot of natural light. However, with natural light, we all know solar heat gain comes in, right. you know, and, and we're talking about temperatures that midday, you know, I was experiencing, you know, up to like 110. And this was in an area where there's a decent breeze and stuff. But I mean, you put your hand to like the sides of all of these buildings and stuff. You know, you could easily pull away with, a, you know, second degree burns because, yeah. you know, this stuff gets hot. <laughs> yep. And thermal massing, all that stuff matters. Yeah. I mean, I was just out in Joshua Tree over the weekend and it was 114 out in Palm Springs. It wasn't, it was like 101 in Joshua Tree because it's at a higher elevation. Right. But man, it's at 114 in Palm Springs. It's, it's brutal. It's yeah. brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So it's not too different here in Southern California. <laughs> no, no, I mean, <laughs> you being you know, over there. What, what's interesting is like the hottest I've experienced in the past, like say five years, was once the uh, AIA convention was done in Las Vegas, and we went and visited LA and visited you and everything else, and and then we started to drive back and we drove through Northern Arizona to kind of like go into Utah and stuff like that. The temperature gauge in the truck that we had rented was reading 135 and you got out of the truck and it felt very much like 135 degrees it was desert and it was very much like what we were experiencing over there and so understanding the climate understanding the thing was just you know imperative wow. i got to finally see my very first true honest goodness bedouin tents yeah, we were driving by. Dude came out of his tent. He was like waving at us. <laughs> it was just like, you go, man. Like, it is hot out here. I don't see how you're doing it, but right. you're better than me. You are better than me. Yeah. Because I'd be whining about it the whole time. They've adapted. They've adapted. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting too. Although now the Bedouin mode of transportation are these old Toyota pickup trucks mm -hmm. that they've like scabbed on all sorts of repairs. It's amazing. This one guy, he was like, I, I did not understand him. And then I realized that after he had driven off, cause they had left like one of their vehicles that apparently one of his vehicles broke down. And I think he was asking, you know, and I just didn't understand him. I think he was asking if anybody was a mechanic hmm. and if I would have realized that I totally would have been out there to help. I mean, cause it was, it's exactly up our wheelhouse of like what we could fix, mm. you know, or at least like trace down what the problem is and stuff. Keeping the shade tree mechanic status um, alive in the Middle East. I would totally have like, you know, said, all right, man, let's, let's start working on this. You know, he, and what was interesting is like they were using these pickup trucks to herd camels and it was, it was so awesome. Yeah, better than walking. Makes sense. You know, they, they knew where they were going and they just like, if a, one of the camel would like stray off you know they had basically two pickup trucks to guide them back over and you know they'd like honk the horn to like flanking the the camel crowd <laughs> it was it was crazy it was amazing to kind of go there and experience the place and just see like you know people living their life way like we do you know and, and everybody has this these preconceived notions of of people over there and it's just Man, they're going about life just like we are. It's the people who like have politicized all of this stuff that are the problem, not the mm -hmm. not the average Joe. Yeah, average Joe just wants to get along, wants to do his thing. I don't want to turn this political, but 
they're doing their thing. We're doing our thing. We don't want to bug each other. Just do your thing. I think that a lot of that is based on, you know, this propaganda kind of, yeah, you don't want to turn to political. Here we go. No, I don't want to spend too much time <laughs> on this either, but it, it is kind of a propaganda story to keep people, well, fear is, is a big driver for not going places and spending your money there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think a lot of it is that it's the same for going to Mexico. It's like, it's scary down there. It's run by drug lords. You're going to get killed if you cross the border. <laughs> and uh, it's not right. like that at all. But it's it's a story that because that those are the kinds of headlines and that's the kind of vocabulary that sells and gets people to watch. It gets eyeballs and and it keeps people from experiencing this kind of stuff. And like you said, you're over there, you're extraordinarily humbled and you're in awe of the building technology from 10,000 years ago and how many people actually go to experience that or how many people are deterred from experience that based on the kind of propaganda you type things that are and, right. and sure some of it's legit but most of it is not and like oh, yeah, you said totally. most people are just trying to live their lives and be helpful and just get along and it's awesome that you got to experience that because i think a lot of people just either decide not to or don't ever have the opportunity but but for the people who are deciding not to based on this other the marketing message that's sold to us Mm -hmm. That's a huge shame. It's a huge shame because there's so much to learn, so much to learn. I guess my point was is that you'll find the similarities, both when I was talking about like these ancient architectural types to even like the, you know, modern architectural methods to the way people just go about doing their job. You know, I was like uh, driving around talking to some of the date farmers. You're like in the middle of the desert and you're like dr driving through this like orangey sand and then you come across this oasis of these beautiful, lush, you know, it's palm like, trees. Oh, Medjool dates. Yeah, exactly. Delish. And it's just, like, <laughs> oh my gosh. We, so they have this one where I guess they're ripe and they're ready to eat, but they're not like, you know, like the dates you're used to and stuff. And so they let them sun dry a little bit more. But when you pick them at just the right thing, you know, they're, they're still round and they're, they're like just right. And then apparently you freeze them and they're, the inside still has the consistency of ice cream and they're so sweet they've like had this like big basket of frozen dates that was almost like a basket of bonbons and you were like ooh, chomping down on these things and like they were absolutely delicious and like perfectly natural you know well next time you're out here i'll take you to a date farm in death valley where it's a, a family friend owns it and they make date shakes and they sell all things dates. Mm. But they grow a lot of Middle Eastern dates there because the climate is perfect for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Southern California has a big date farming culture, like out in Indio by Palm Springs. Yeah. But those are bigger commercial operations. This is more of a family operation. And it's a, it's a definite kind of hidden roadside attraction out there. It's super, super cool. So if, if anybody's interested, look it up. It's called China Ranch in Death Valley, south of Death Valley. And it's also kind of amazing that in the oasis where we were at, there literally was a legit oasis that spanned for miles. And it kind of like just, you know, was down in the low portion of where the old ancient river was. And there's orange trees in there and they're like growing citrus. I'm like, 
me being a Florid- partial Floridian. Yeah, don't you know, be careful who you associate yeah, with right yeah, now. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not to turn political, but I mean, I don't want to say I'm a Floridian. No, right. <laughs> kidding. But I know citrus. I mean, you know, I had citrus trees and everything in every, you know, house that I lived in. And, you know, to see some of these really nice oranges and stuff, and they were just like locally grown. I, I had no idea that you could grow oranges in the desert, but apparently yeah. you can. It's huge yeah. citrus industry. Yeah. That's what all of these houses out here used to be citrus groves. Yeah. I mean, yours, yeah. I remember yours was a... It was like, the grove was house. Like, yeah. 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 Cool, man. Well, it sounds like a fun trip. I can't wait to see more pictures. Yeah. We'll have to bombard Instagram with more pictures. Um actually looking at my other computer right now and I'm at like 75% of downloading over 5,000 pictures. Oh, is that all? <laughs> uh, I'll obviously call them down to like you know, two or three, but the five good ones. Yeah. yeah the, the five good ones. <laughs> That's it. That's how it works. And also what's interesting is so like, you know, we're currently right now geotagging the photos to Google earth. And so, you know, like we can like tag, and put in all of these things. So like when we're talking, we can pull up Google earth we can like click on, you know, say we wanted to do like a certain like view approach and then we could like click on it and it'll see like all of the different photographs that we've kind of curated for that particular approach in like the panoramas that I took of all of these things, you know, that like really kind of like get people to see and understand, you know, you're looking at from a map and you're like, Oh yeah, yeah, that looks, you know, like, not a big deal. And then, you know, you like look at this and it's like a 500 foot impassable like cliff or a couple thousand feet. And you're just like, oh, can we cut like something there? It's like, no, no, here, hold on, click. <laughs> and you pull it up and it's just like um, massive, massive stuff. I-, I will say this, that there was a lot of times where as I was walking through here, you weren't too far from my mind where I was talking about, I wonder if Evan would climb that. Climb it. Heck yeah, that would be awesome. There's definitely uh, some films about that out there. Yeah. I wonder though, because there's like really brittle sandstone mm-hmm. that I don't know if I could, if I were a climber, which. No, uh, you wouldn't. No, I'm not. I would just. Well, say, you wouldn't yeah. if it was brittle for sure. Yeah. And there's obviously like cultural sensitivity and all kinds of things to that that have yeah. to be navigated. Uh, and I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you, this has got to be something that we've got to like put in the cover shot or or something we're gonna have to figure out how to like show this but there was these amazing petroglyphs they've got a lot of really interesting archaeology throughout this um drive riverbed and so there were some petroglyphs on there and stuff and and obviously there's such an open area you can't keep people from going in and putting some modern graffiti or something like that intermixed with some of the the ancient stuff and so we were looking at one and they're like oh yeah like right here is this amazing like area where we've there's some you know petroglyphs i'm like oh that's cool and i'm looking at it i'm looking at it, i'm like i wonder if everybody if anybody like really looked at this because i feel like they would have mentioned it if they did and i'm looking at it i'm like i wonder how old the box truck is because somebody carved a box truck on this like rock cliff and it's just like how old is amazon <laughs> <laughs> it was so somehow some way i'm gonna to have to figure out how to like make sure that people see this i'll, I'll have to did it have the little like smiley arrow on oh, no, it? it it didn't have the smiley arrow although i i was tempted to actually add it just for you know 
Oh, bad. I said, like, I'm not going to deface this. Somebody already did. And, but it was just so funny. It's like, you know, looking at it and you could see like camel, such and such, this, that, and the other. There was like ancient cattle that used to be out there and all this other stuff. And so they would have all these petroglyphs of all of that. And then you look down in the, the lower right hand corner and there's a box truck, two wheels, <laughs> the whole shebang. Like it's exactly like how a kid would draw a truck. Exactly like that but carved into the face amongst all of these petroglyphs. I was like, classic. I was like, of course. It was, a li- it was a little boy, too. Had to of have course. been. Had to only have been. A boy, only a boy would have done that. Most likely, yeah, defaced something. <laughs> or an adult male that is yeah. still a boy. In, oh, yes. In heart. Yeah. So I've, I haven't posted any of the petroglyphs yet, but I think I'll do that soon. Cool. And it was just, like, amazing, and I'll have to get that uh, delivery truck in there. Can't wait to see it. You know, they had to get their dates, you know, all of their date crops out of there somehow, <laughs> right? 